The Rock and Roll and Coffee Show is brought to you by Writers and Rockers Coffee Company, keeping the music and memories alive with some damn good coffee. Be sure to pick up your Rock and Roll and Coffee Show coffee only at writersandrockerscoffee.com. And also brought to you by Retroactive, located at Broadway at the Beach in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, keeping you retro with everything from 70s, 80s, and 90s. Shopretroactive.com. Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. My next guest is Pete Evick. Pete is a musician and author. He's currently out on the road with the Brett Michaels Band in support of the Party Girl Tour. But he also has a new book that just came out called MTV Famous. I'm going to talk to Pete about this book. I'm going to talk to him about his new bourbon that he also has out, as well as an upcoming hot sauce that he will be releasing next on the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. All right, Pete. So thanks for joining me. You're currently out on the road on the Party Gras tour. Got some time off right now, right? Yeah, a couple of days, a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, we're right, head right back out. How's the tour going? Uh, you know what? I think it's going great. Um, if you read the reviews, I haven't seen anything bad yet. Um, it, se- it seems like everyone understands. I get more shocked that people didn't quite understand what it was going to be until they saw it. The idea of guests coming out and playing with us on stage with our band. Uh, everyone's like, oh, I didn't understand that's how that was going to be. Um, I thought it was a pretty obvious explanation. But, uh, you know, I'm having a blast. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to play those Sugar Ray songs. It's a lot of fun to play the Journey songs. Um it, it, and obviously playing the, the Poison songs is great, but the reviews are great. People are having fun. You can feel the energy in, in the in the uh, amphitheaters. And, and I, I, don't, I couldn't say I don't know that it could go better than it's going. Did you guys have to do a lot of rehearsal beforehand? <laughs> <laughs> we did do a lot of rehearsal. Yeah, more than we've ever done. Uh, in the 20 years I've been with Brett, we've rehearsed three or four times, really, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> And this we took a week ahead of time where the whole band got together and rehearsed. We rehearsed with Brett. We rehearsed with Steve. We rehearsed with um, with uh, uh, Mark McGrath. And uh, But the rehearsal was more about making the set flow together, more about the um, not the meat of learning the songs, but about where to put them so that they felt right in the set. And it didn't feel like there were too many guest songs in between the Poison songs. Um, in between our material uh so it took us a while just to get the flow to work correctly because brett didn't want a lot of downtime in between the music he just wanted to get to go song between song between song and and you know just keep the hits rolling so there was a lot of work in timing that stuff and putting the music correctly to flow together so this is all hits as you say so it's like no filler songs it's all going to be songs everybody knows from all the artists everything right right, yeah that that's the whole concept of it okay and when did you start or when did brett start getting this idea together to be honest with you he's been talking about it for seven or eight years he's used different terms and different concepts and we've done it a couple times with mark mcgrath and with steve um 
but never in its full swing like this. But he's had it in his head for a long time. And you're on the first leg of the tour now. How long does this run go? Uh, actually, this particular run of this, the way it is with Mark and Steve, ends uh, on Sunday. But we've already gotten the calls from Live Nation and everybody that they're going to pick it up again next year and and put more dates out and make it bigger. So it it worked. It it did what Brett wanted it to do. It kind of, you know, <laughs> I like to say, you know, uh, Lollapalooza changed the way the concert going experience went. It was basically the birth of the modern day festival, the way we know it. Um, and nothing's really evolved much since then as, as far as how you have a concert experience other than technology, lights and staging and stuff like that. But but this is kind of an evolution in the concert experience. And it's not going to surprise me that something like this doesn't catch on and you start seeing it happen more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a great time. It sounds like it's going to be a party. I'm going to go to the Charlotte show. So That's right. I'll be out there right. on Sunday. So um, it's going to be a great time. I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait for you to come and see it, man. But you have, I don't know how you do it because you're doing this tour right now and you just released your new book, right. MTV Famous, and you've right. got a bourbon out, which we're going to talk about. You've got a sauce out that we're going to talk about, not to mention your candle company. Yeah. How do you do it, man? Uh, well, so <laughs> in all honesty, the book and the bourbon and the sauce were all things that I started working on um a long time ago none of them were supposed to happen at the same time and none of them were supposed to land when we started the tour and everything landed on that same week it just happened that way and it was truly i appreciate what you're saying you've known me a long time uh a lot of people know that i, I do like to work hard i like to keep busy i like to stay creative but for the first time in my life i will tell you it was too much i i'm overwhelmed with it right now i don't know you know, I wake up in the morning, I go, do I promote the book? Do I promote the bourbon? Do I promote the tour? And I hate to overwhelm my fans and friends and family. I hate to um, spam them with stuff, you know. So I, I there's a fear that none of the things are doing as well as they could because I'm not able to focus on all of them. So that that's creating a strange anxiety in me. Uh, but I just... um. I will tell you, I'm exhausted. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not complaining about that. Yesterday we came home and uh, I slept most of the day yesterday. And it's so unlike me. Uh, I couldn't even answer calls or texts. I literally had to take the day and just sit on my couch or, or, or rest. Um, not like me, but I, I did it. And then uh, I woke up today and, and was able to feel more like me and got back to working and promoting on things. You've got to take a rest, though. Sometimes you got to give yourself that break. I did yesterday, but yeah. it felt weird. felt weird to me, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know how to explain it, but you're the same way. I'm the same way. Yeah, you know me. I'm the same way. You got, go and got, go, and go. Yeah, look at your retro active poster back there. You like that? You've been yeah. there. <laughs> I've been there a couple of times. <laughs> you, know, you know it well, right? Yes, yes, yes. So let's talk about your book. Okay, be famous. Got it right here. There you go. Okay. <laughs> You got to admit, man, you got to admit the cover is interesting, right? I love it. Yeah, uh, the cover is, is uh, it, it, I, it, so I had months and months and months to think about the cover. And nothing exciting came to me. And then some other people were showing me, uh, other people involved were showing me cover concepts uh, that weren't bad, but I knew 100% they weren't what I wanted. And 
then I started to stress about it. And then literally just, just, just a vision came to me of that cover. And I went to my buddy, Chris Carroll and said, I drew him this terrible picture. I said, this is, can you create something like this? And he, he came up with that. And, uh, I'm I, I don't know you know I'm not an artist and I can't take credit for making the art but it was my idea but I I think the cover is pretty eye grabbing I'm pretty proud of it yeah it looks great is that your guitar it is yeah. so <laughs> yeah uh that in the book I tell a story about that guitar um I had that guitar in 1987 88 my parents had it built for me um I used to ride BMX bikes and uh, people that had BMX bikes, if you would remember, sometimes had, you know, colors like I had the green mag wheels and the mushroom grips and the green whatever. And um, so my parents actually bought me the guitar to match my bike. And I was already a Poison fan, but uh, I got that guitar between Look What the Cat Dragged In and Before Nothing But a Good Time came out. And in Nothing But a Good Time, CeCe's playing that exact same guitar, the Green <laughs> Rich, except his has says CeCe on it or whatever. And uh, th there's always been such irony about, about that particular guitar. And a lot of people think I bought it because of my love for Poison. And not at all. I had it long before that was a thing. So Right, right. So in this yeah. book, you get in, it's different than your first book. How How would you compare the two? For, for if someone uh, read your first book, what can they expect in this one? So, I mean, the first book was an inspirational book, and it was meant to just talk about m moments in my life. It's called the moments that make us. It was meant to uh, talk about moments in my life that I found groundbreaking and and changed my life on a dime. Stopped me uh, in, in in literally in one second sent me on a different path than I was on. Um, in this book, it's my musical journey and. I still worked really hard to put those to make it about those moments. It's it's very much um, very similar in the fact that each story has a defining moment that changed my life and sent me on a different direction. But this is more uh, entertaining. It's more more funny. It's more raw. It's more uh, more uh, aggressive. Uh, I, I the other book was really clean. I left the f word out of a lot. This book. I, I I let it all hang out and let my voice be my voice as I am today. Uh, and I I think that I think that some people will still find inspiration in it, but it's certainly just uh, my tale of my journey from you know. You know, a lot of people write write their story from uh, a certain age to you know. When you when you write an autobiography about the music business, you you'll write it about kind of your first signed band or your first big band into who you are today. I went all the way back to the second I picked up the guitar, mm -hmm. and I talk about my high school bands and I talk about stuff like that prior to being in Brett's band. You know, there, there's a million people that think my success started went 20 years ago when I joined Brett's band, but for you know 10 years before that, I was riding around in a van making a living. I, I, I had records out. I was signed to record deals and, and I was making music. Um, and I think, I, I think it was important for everyone that, that has interest in me as a musician. I want them to know that story. You know, I I've always said, it doesn't matter whether you get into a band like Brett's or you get into, you know, ACDC or you join another local band. I've, I've always noticed that when you start a new band You'll pick up some new friends, some new fans, and those fans kind of 
act like your career started the day they met you. Not right. If that makes sense. Mm. And they'll be like, Oh, I've been following you since the beginning. But you don't really know when the beginning is. You were, mm. you, you know what I mean? The beginning was five years old. So, yeah, and, yeah. and I've always thought that that to be interesting perspective from a, a lot of fans meet you and don't do the history and due diligence to find out all the records and different things you had out before the moment they met you. And, uh, the, you know, so I started at five years old and give everyone the entire journey. Yeah, I've loved it. I've, I'm about, I'd say about halfway through it now. Um, and, oh, really? and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm up to, chapter six or something like that part two almost um and you find it interesting enough to keep reading yes i want to keep reading it but you know my lifestyle it's it's hard to find that time oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> surprised you got that part to be honest with you uh, me too so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah so you get into a lot of things in there i mean you you talk about your childhood of course with your your mom being supportive and your dad not having the best mm-hmm. relationship with him but it sounds like he was still supportive because he was helping you with things, making you masks and, you know. Yeah. No, my dad, my dad was supportive. He just was into what he was into. Mm-hmm. And he was much like me. He was a workaholic. So if you wanted to be part of my dad's life, you did what he did. That's how it was. He wasn't he wasn't going to come do what I was doing. I had to do what he was doing. If I wanted time with my father, I had to help clean the garage or help change spark plugs or uh make bullets with them you know that uh, you, you lived on his terms and did the things he wanted to do and and uh some of that interested me for a little bit but it didn't you know i i, I at a very early age i wanted to do my thing he was never he was a, he was a kind guy to me he was a loving guy and he was a tough guy too he was an ex-military auto mechanic type of guy you know he he, he was he was a good old boy but uh he was he was kind to me he just did his thing and i did my thing <laughs> mm-hmm. I liked how you um you talked about your first your I don't know if it was your first band but some odd reason um yeah, you got into that band. a little yeah, yeah yeah I I didn't know that I didn't know that right. about you so it was it, nice it's, to it, it's interesting for the people that don't know because that part of my life was as big at that point as joining Brett's band I mean signing a record deal and going on tour and doing all that stuff that that was success that was that was I thought within a year I was gonna have a big house with three swimming pools in the backyard you know didn't we all right <laughs> yeah right you know <laughs> yeah. how about the singer Ryan where's Ryan these days Ryan lives in Pittsburgh now he's married he's happy uh the thing with Ryan is is um like I, I say in the book Ryan had this golden voice. You and me have talked about before how much I love Brian Adams. And and he was Brian Adams, man. And uh, but he'd never been an entertainer in his life. He'd only done open mics and 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 little things like that. And uh I wasn't I was dealing with the grunge thing and had kind of quit playing live music because I didn't know how to do that. And he came along and I he just breathed a new life into me that I didn't think I was going to have. And we made some great music for a lot of years. Um, you know, his first gig he ever did was opening for Cheap Trick in front of a sold out crowd. Uh, so I think that once we got out on the road and it was 50 bucks a night playing for 10 people in different clubs, you know how that goes as an original band. Um, and we were on the same circuit that, you know, we would go through and play the same clubs that Matchbox 20 had just played the year before or Hootie and the Blowfish. And we were on the on the circuit and doing the right things. But but it just um, at the end of the day, it really wasn't for him. You know, we made great music and made history in my book, uh, in, in my life. And, and uh, 
it's some of the absolute greatest memories of my life and greatest times of my life. And I'm I'm grateful we're still in touch because things got nasty, man. I didn't I didn't want him to to leave, and I didn't know how to handle that, you know. Uh, but yeah, he was great. He still is great. I actually talked to all those guys once the book came out, just talking about wondering if all these years later we could write one more song and it actually sound like some odd reason if we all still could. And we had a sound, we had a thing, you know what I mean? And is that we, music out there? Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's been out since the day iTunes came out. It's been out there. Um, yeah, and it's very pop stuff. It's still 100% me. It's not much different than the Epic stuff, but his voice was different. And it had, had a little bit more poppy energy to it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that after the Party Girl Tour and after I get through some other things, I think that my goal is to try to write uh, at least one Some Odd Reason song, maybe two, and and expose the people that I know that don't know it, like you, uh, to to that. I just want it to sound the same as it did, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. After 20-some years, almost 30 years, we've all evolved. You know, sure, we, could sure. tell, we could tell we were evolving from after the first record into the second record. The music was starting to change a little bit, which is what happens. I'm a big fan. I've, I've always been a big fan of bands um, evolving and you as a fan moving with it. In fact, I feel like Kiss and Van Halen, the Beatles, um, some of those timeless legendary bands. I feel like part of what made them legendary is because we grew with them. Kiss's first album compared to just their third album, Hotter Than Hell, you could feel the progress so much better. They got poison from Look What the Cat Dragged In into Flesh and Blood, the evolution of the band and the maturity. You could feel that you grew with them. And you and and I think that was something that's missing today. Nowadays, when a band makes their first record, it it sounds like it sounds exactly like their 10th record is going to sound. It can, it's produced, polished, perfect, and and it is what it is. And um, I recognize that was happening with us in some odd reason. Even when we started writing material for our second record, it went from kind of pop and fun to um, a little more musical, which musical is fine. We're all musicians, but there's a fine balance when you're writing pop songs that you don't want to turn them into rush songs. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What what made you want to write um your story? Tell your story. Um well Steve Olivis, when I was when I was promoting my best days um and 99 Red Balloons, and I came on your show and I came on Steve Olivis Olivis show. I hope I say his name right. That's I know that's how to say Olivis. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Olivis. Uh, and we were talking about my first book and then we had a conversation outside of the podcast about if I ever wanted to write a second book, he'd be interested in doing it with me. And, um, I, it just felt like a sign that I, I got such a reward out of writing my first book. I, I can't explain what, what, how rewarding it was mentally, um, financially it did great. Um, but it was a lot of work and I, and there were days when I went, Oh, I can't wait to write a second book. And there were days where I went, I'm never, ever putting myself through that again. And, uh, but Steve, uh, worked me through it, got me excited about it. And we wrote it together. And, uh, I just, the fact that he, as an author had interest in telling, he read the first book and then he said, he'd be real excited to make a second one with me. And that was all the boost I needed to, to give it a shot. That's awesome. Uh, Steve's a great guy, a mutual friend of both of ours. And, yeah. you know, 
he he's got a great sense of humor yeah. and i think in, in the writings with that with you guys I, I, it comes yeah, through yeah. and it's it is a really fun read yeah it's funny because i'm not much of a funny guy you know that and <laughs> and so a lot of the jokes and stuff uh there's there it doesn't there's parts of it that aren't exactly my voice but somehow he took his humor and still made it sound like me like when i read it back it it doesn't sound like someone else it it certainly is my voice and my stories so for him to be able to interject a little kindness and humor where i'm usually kind of stern and just kind of straight faced it i think it really really helped helped with what the readers are going to experience yeah, no, when I was reading that, I could totally picture you saying everything that's in there. So it was you. Yeah. 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 That's important. That's hard. You know yeah. what I mean? Even with, even with my first book, um, which I did much different, uh, I still would send it to the editors and the editors would write back. I'm so I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, my editors would write back and I would have to change things because it just didn't sound like my voice. And for some reason, that is crucial to me to to make it. Because I know that my my friends, my fans, and my family really enjoy my social media posts, and and the, and when I express myself on there, and they all talk about me being a good storyteller. So it's important for me to to make that ring true. And I think I think Steve did a absolute wonderful job of of helping it helping me sound like me with him being in what he did. I couldn't be more proud of it. I don't know what to say. I I I, I didn't know what it was going to end up like. And, you know, I, I knew that I had to tell some raunchy stories and tell, I knew I had to lean a little bit toward that dirt type of stuff. Uh, I, I told some of that, but I didn't want to tell all of that. And I didn't want to just be kind and cool and, and, and sound like everything was roses. Um, I wanted it to be a roller coaster of emotion. And, and he, you know, he, 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 he did a great job helping me get that across. Yeah, I agree. It's got its highs, its lows. You talk about loneliness. You get into Brett's health a little bit when all that stuff happened. You know, it's yeah. And you're only in chapter six. It gets way deeper with that stuff. Yeah. Well, I glanced through the some of the other stuff, but I'm reading it. I'm at chapter six. But yeah, so great job on this book. I I, I'm looking forward to finishing it. Right on. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Was it? Um. Let me ask you this about it. Was it difficult, like, when you were writing it to? well, I better not say this or, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I yeah. would think that would be hard. You don't want to, I don't want, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You, right. You know what I mean? It, um, literally it was crippling that part of it. Um, there's truth be told. And it's funny. I have made fun of Nikki six since the dirt came out. I um, like Nikki. <laughs> I'm not going to go much farther, but I like, I, I like Nikki. He was, but, he was my guy when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, um, uh, but I, a lot of that stuff, I was reading it and I knew it to be not true or what I thought was not true. Cause I was such a fan in the day. And I was such a rock historian as a kid that reading that book, some of it was out of time. Some of it was, I knew that the, this part that he's writing about happened back here, not here. Uh, and I knew I was right about it. You could trace that stuff and you can go through yourself and find the history of how out of whack that book is on the timeline. Uh, and then, you know, Vince came out and said, uh, 
things about how he doesn't remember anything that happened in that book and it's probably all lies. And so, so I was really down on Nikki for a long time, but I will tell you that in just writing this book and knowing that um, me and Steve made a joke about the fact that I told maybe 14 years worth of stories that I thought all happened in 1998. Every time I would tell him something, I'd be like, this happened in 1998. The busy year. And he went back and was managed to find people or newspaper clippings or just blog posts or, or he went, he, somehow he was able to research these things and he came back to me. He's like, Pete, I'm finding out that everything you're telling me is true, but we have a big problem. It, none of this stuff happened in 1998. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like some of this happened as far back as 1992 some of it happened in 2002 there's about 10 to 12 years of stories and you keep telling me they happened in 1998 and i i started to realize on a very small scale maybe what nikki went through writing that book and you weren't even on drugs like that right you, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> so 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 uh you know, so I feel for him. I even had, I've already had um, one of the drummers that was in some odd reason, um, Eric Spencer, has already read the book in its entirety. And he uh, he corrected me on the timeline already. <laughs> you know, and he was like, it, you know, it, I tell this story about being in Arizona one night and the very night, that next night being in Texas. and he swears that Texas was the first night and Arizona was the second night. Uh, we were both drinking heavily at the time. It, that was the right in the middle of the total excess and a total disregard for everyone and, and everything. Uh, but I have to believe he's probably right about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he seems very firm that those two nights were switched. So I, I respect a little bit more of, of, what Nikki was doing with the dirt. And I understand now that when you're recollecting stories, especially when there's substance abuse involved, that, that uh, all you can say, like I say, at the beginning of a book is these are the stories as I remember them. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So the book is available now, MTV famous. Uh, Where is the best place for someone to get this? if They want to get it. Amazon. Just go to Amazon. Amazon. You can get the Kindle version or the hard copy version. Definitely recommend this hardcover version. Very nice. Yeah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So not only do you have the book, let's talk about the bourbon. All right. (laughs) Yeah. When, like, why bourbon? Were you a bourbon lover? Um, So as I learned in the last six months, there are some big deal bourbon connoisseurs in the world, right? And and whiskey guys and there's 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 clubs and there's secret societies and there's <laughs> there's all this stuff. Um what I wanted to do was um you know the candles is a big thing and and not the, the bourbon, the hot sauce, I don't think any of that's ever gonna be what I turned Shining Soul into. We turned that into a, a something giant and that was a huge undertaking. Um, and I'm so, so, so proud of it. But that's not what I'm after with this stuff. I just wanted to get into 
some stuff that I consider lifestyle stuff for me, stuff that that I'm into. Um, and and I drink a lot of Jack Daniels. And so I think that's what led me down that path. And I'm so into um with every day I grow more and more passionate about my hometown. And you know, we you and me have talked about that thing. I I I long to be John Bon Jovi, not not the rock star he is. I long to be the the guy that from Sarahville, New Jersey, that's still proud to be from Sarahville and and John Mellencamp, you know, that those two guys touched me so hard with their roots and being from their roots. And even Dee Snyder being from Long Island, he was very much that guy. And uh, the older I get, the more I hold on to my hometown. And and there's local, you know, this local distillery with a bunch of great people. And uh, the, the the conversation just came up about a limited run of, of bourbon that I would be proud to put my name on. And they uh, they accepted it open arms, and we went and we worked with it for months. And I'm proud of it, man. I'm proud of it. It's it's you know it's scary because it's expensive. It's not a fourteen dollar bottle of Jack Daniels. What it is is a real product for real bourbon lovers. Um, so it's not it's not a gimmicky thing that you you know. I, I obviously I have some fans and friends that bought one bottle to put on their on their wall and collect, and I'm grateful for that. But I was trying to make something that people will want to drink and buy it again. I wanted it to be the real deal. And, and it really, really is. The reviews on it are, are mind blowing good. And that's scary, man. I, you know, um, the day that I went in and I had to pick the final product from three different barrels and they had these three different um, gla- whiskey glasses with it in it. And your mind just, my mind just went insane. I started going, do I even know what the fuck I'm doing? Am I really going to know the difference between this one, this and this one? And what if I like the worst one? What if, what if, what if, you know, I if I'm just picking what I like, that's all I can do. But what if there's something about it that I like that all these, you know, super bourbon connoisseurs are going to pay $70 a bottle, know that I don't know. And that, that I, you know, it, it was like playing, um, like in my brain, it was like playing Wheel of Fortune. You were down to one letter, and I picked the wrong letter. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That that's what it, that's what it felt like. It was it, it was crazy that day picking uh, out of those three. But I just I picked what I liked, man. And and all three were great. And then I started trying to, you know, my brain started going, well, maybe they don't taste the same, or maybe they're maybe they all taste exactly like. And I'm tricking myself. Maybe you know those kind of things you can go yeah, to, yeah. you know, and uh. I just, I just, there, the one that I picked, I was sure that that was the right one. There was nothing in my brain that could tell me different that I liked that one the best. But second guessing myself for days after it was, was mm. horrifying. Once you pick it, it's done too, because I harvest that bottle and it's, and or harvest that, that barrel. And that's, that's my bourbon. And I, I'm proud of it. That, that That's all I can say. I read the reviews online and I just think, wow, I, I got lucky with that because. Uh, you know, that could have gone wrong. And I, you know, I think it's good. Are we allowed to talk about the fact that you came up for the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must've been cool enough that you made that drive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a very successful release of the bourbon. I thought that Mm -hmm. went over great. Um, And the tasting, everyone seemed to like it. I didn't hear anyone. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they would said anyway, but, but I didn't hear anyone mumbling about, Oh, this isn't. Yeah. There wasn't like, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Time was good. Yeah, so I'm proud of it, and uh, we'll see. I, you know, it's like I told you, 
uh, I'm not going to put my name on things that aren't who I am. Yeah. You know, and uh, so whether it's this or the hot sauce that's coming in a few weeks, or it's not really a hot sauce, it's a marinade. Um, it's just whatever I get my hands into is 100% me, 100% real, and 100% something that's in my kitchen or my living room or my my life. And, uh, you know, it's just maybe I'm Martha Stewart with a bunch of lifestyle products. That, that's one of the things I like about you, Pete, is when you get from the years that I've known you, when you get involved in something, when you want to do something, you do it 100%. 100%. You have yeah. to. Yeah, to, and you know what? I think maybe you and me have talked in the past before too. Is uh, it's also important for me to continually not just show my kids, but show anyone that at any age and any at any point in my life, I'm beating the odds at 50 years old doing these things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know, and don't get me wrong. There's people without limbs, and there's people that have that have done. You know that inspire people much different with, with, with much more adversity than just being an old white dude. But my, my point is still that I, I like to just inspire the fact that all you have to do is have an idea and anyone can make anything happen. I believe that man. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. I believe it. Yeah. yeah you too. You, you get an idea and you fucking roll with it too. And you know, yeah. keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned your hot sauce too. So that's that's not even out yet, right? Well, so before COVID, we released it, and then everything just got too much. And with the can with Shining Soul, I had to dive in. Uh, me and my partner Darren had to dive in one hundred percent, two hundred percent, just to make that survive. We'd lost our third partner, and I talk about that in the book too. Uh, we didn't; she didn't pass away, but she had to protect her family. Um, she has a she has a child with a with a autoimmune disease or probably saying that wrong, but she has a child with a, a disease that um COVID would have killed the kid. And so her life became protecting that child. And so me and Darren had to go 200 percent into Shining Soul and let everything else go. In all honesty, thank God touring stopped because I would have had to. I would have lost Shining Soul to touring during COVID. We, you know, so I let the sauce company go all during COVID. And then Clark, my partner in the sauce company, uh, recently came to me and he goes, man, let's get this happening. Let's do it. And I was at a point where I had the time and energy to be able to re-kick it back off. And uh, and we made some changes about, you know, we were manufacturing the stuff ourselves, which is a, a gigantic um, undertaking. And, you know, I manufacture the candles, the Shining Soul, I manufacture those. So I thought in my brain, I was in the manufacturing business. I understood how that worked. The food industry is so much different. Uh, but by the time I'd learned how to do it, I'd learned so much. I was like, let's just do this. But the real the real way to do this, as you know, because you do the same thing, is to use a co-packer and have someone make your recipe for you that, that has built the business on how to do that. And that's what they do every single day. And you just focus on creating your brand. And at first I didn't believe that worked like that. Like I, like my partner, Clark, who is, is one of the most famous chefs in town and every restaurant in town uses one of his recipes for something. And I was like, well, and he has access to uh, a, a community kitchen, which met the laws and rules of us being able to make it for ourselves. And, uh, but he was like, let's just go down to Virginia Beach to this co-packer and we'll make it down there. And 
you know, give them our recipe and they made a batch of it while we were down there and it came out exactly like it was supposed to come out. And I saw the light of that's, that's how to do it. You know, now there's expense to that, uh, you know, so we're going to relaunch that. And that's, again, that's a product that, uh, that product is something that I'm uniquely proud of. Um, the first sauce it's, it's called Evix number four. Um, I'm, I'm proud of that because I 100% believe it's unique. I believe that when you taste it, it's it's something brand new, and uh, and so for that I'm excited about that. I don't I'm not in the market of just copying something. You know what I mean? Even though the bourbon is bourbon, and and you know, but in that particular field, I wanted to come up with a product that no one had ever tasted before in their life. Um, and I'd made that stuff for. 10 years, whenever I'd have a barbecue or have friends over, I would make that sauce and marinade shrimp in it. That's where it started. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But but the other thing about the company is called the Virginia Sauce and Spice Company. And my product is just the first of what's going to be many. My partner, Clark, makes this incredible ketchup that literally restaurants in town use his ketchup. People go there just to, to, to buy his ketchup and eat ketchup. He made it for his kid when he when he when his kid was born his first child he made this ketchup because he knew that inevitably ketchup is one of the first things kids get addicted to and it's pure sugar you know the way we buy ketchup today and he wanted a healthy alternative for his child and so it was driven out of a passion and a reason to to make it. And that'll be one of our next products. But the other thing was Virginia Sauce and Spice Company is supposed to, when it's up and rolling correctly, sort of be like a record company for sauce and, sauces and spices and different food products. And I have a lot of friends that have different products um, that they make, different barbecue sauces, different things. And... Again, I try to I try to inspire people because I have so many of my friends that are always like, oh, man, I'd love to launch my barbecue sauce or I'd love to launch my my dry rub. And and I have a lot of friends. I don't want to insult them, but they get stuck right there. Yeah. And I thought, all right, let me start this company and I will release all of my friends food products. I will give idea. them a shot. I'll give them all a shot. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And uh, and that's kind of that's kind of where it started. We'll see where it goes. I still well, it's it's still going to be like a record label. If you come to me, I'm going to have to like it. I'm not just going to put yeah, the junk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But so so I you know in my brain, I'm taking what I know in the music business and trying to turn it into something. You know, to, to put apply that to the food industry, and and we'll see where it goes with that. I I'm excited about that, but that's a that's going to be a slow build. That's not a all right. And today we're releasing a new book or or anything like yeah. that a big release party or anything but uh it's 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 fun and and again you 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 have a hot sauce it's fun yeah yeah <laughs> it is that's a great idea that concept yeah so that's where we're going with that awesome so now your sauce it when like when i can't buy it right now right no it's um actually next week we're going into the first batch of manufacturing okay Okay. Yeah. So, and then, but then when it's done, it will be, it'll be for sale in the next two weeks. Awesome. Awesome. And that's called number four. Yeah. That one's called Evic number four. But, you know, it's funny because I guess there's Heinz 57 and then there's WD 40, you know, and the, all those numbers are for 
the amount of attempts it took till they got it right. I don't know if you know that, but WD forty know that the forty is the fortieth version of it before it was right. Really? And I, I yeah, and I and I always loved that concept, so that's why we called it Evic Number Four. It took you four times. Yeah, I flat out stole the idea. I just ripped it off. <laughs> I thought after reading this book, you referenced Number Nine. I thought that number four was something like that. Oh, what do I reference number nine? Forgive me for Van Halen, the ninth oh, oh. track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Four was just. Um... I, I thought it was something like that after I read the book. No, no. It was just my fourth <laughs> attempt at getting it. It was Clark's fourth attempt at getting it right. Let me put it that way. I used to make it at home, like I said. And then when I told Clark, I want to make this, but we need to make it in giant batches instead of little quarter of it or whatever uh -huh. it took him four times around to make you know five gallons of it and make it taste taste right yeah yeah that's awesome man you have a lot going on yeah so and i like to mix records and you like to mix records <laughs> that's another conversation right right <laughs> <laughs> um so you're back out with brett Friday, I believe. But don't you have something I just saw posted on uh oh Thursday night? Me and Chad are doing our acoustic thing. Right. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. It's, it's the party girl pre-party that we're gonna do. Um, yeah, and that that thing goes well. You still yet to see that. I've yet right? to see it. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, we did it last week. We did it after a show in St. Louis. <laughs> I played the party girl in St. Louis and we went to a bar and by midnight we were doing that and called it the after party and we had a packed house, man. Had a lot of fun. It was awesome. It's, you know, we did M3. We did the pre-party for M3 with it last year, the acoustic thing, and they already invited us back to do it again this year. Uh, it, you know, and uh, do you know who Tyson Leslie is? Yeah. Tyson may uh, join us for some of those gigs. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's fun. I got to catch a show. I got to catch yeah. it. I'll, I'll, you know, I told you, I'll fly you. Come on. I'll, okay. I'll pay for your plane ticket. Come somewhere and see it. I will. We'll talk about that. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate it. Congratulations on the book release. Again, yeah, MTV Thank Famous, you. get it at Amazon. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. And good luck with the tour, the rest of the tour. You got it. I'll see you at the last day of the whole thing. You get to see the end of it. Better be good. I hope so. It's better be good. <laughs> All my family's coming, everybody. So it's it better be a good night, you know. All right, man. Listen, stick around, okay? Yep. All right.